Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I want to uh, start the message in a little weird way. About a month ago, I started a new series called Spiritual Bungees or Cutting the Cord. And I used the illustration of a bungee cord. And I thought because some people are new and because we tend to forget things, I want to do that illustration one more time. I've asked Sam Park so I can give Randy a break here because I'm afraid it's going to break his belt if I do it twice. I've asked Sam to come up. Encourage him, would you? Give him a hand. All right. So Sam, I'm going to hook this onto your belt. I'm really hoping it stays, all right? And Sam, I just want to invite you to walk away from me slowly. Keep going. All right. Can you go any further? Now, as we're holding this position, I want you to put yourself in Sam's shoes. Think about what it feels like on his end. What would you be feeling other than fear that this old man's going to let go of the bungee? And break your spine. All right, Sam, come on back. Just hold that mental image because it's a very important image for you to... You might want to take this bungee home with you here. Sorry. Okay, thanks, Sam. So this bungee cord is an illustration of something. Um, There are times when, as we try to walk with Jesus... It feels like even though we're trying to move forward and we're going through the motions that are required, it it feels like sometimes there's an invisible cord strapped to our back holding us back. Like as I do these things, like open the Bible early in the morning, you know, the the hallmark picture of a, a cup of coffee brewed early in the morning, birds are landing on your windowsill and chirping at you to greet you, and you're like, surely I'm going to meet God. And then you open the Bible and you just fall asleep. It's just numb, cold. You, you sit down to pray because there's so much going on in your life. And as you close your eyes, it's like nobody's there on the other end of that line. You turn on moody radio as you get in your car for the morning commute. And it just irritates you to hear such chipper people. What are they so happy about anyway? There are times when even as we try to do the right things, it's like something deep in our hearts is held back. It's not alive anymore. And this chord here illustrates that. And the thing about it is, early on when you're walking with the Lord, the the resistance is far less. But sometimes as you get further along, the resistance seems to grow until it takes all of your effort just to stand still. Have you ever experienced that? Where, Look, I know I don't have the greatest attitude right now, but this lame attitude is taking all my effort. If I relax even a little, I'm going to start going backwards. Why does that happen? Why is it that even though we want to be with God, even though we want to walk towards Him, something sometimes anchors us in place. It pulls us backwards in the opposite direction of where we want to go. And so we've been identifying some of these bungees and inviting the Lord's help to cut those cords because if those cords are cut, there's suddenly this freedom that comes with it. We looked a couple, uh, about three, four weeks ago at one of them, which is unforgiveness. 
That sometimes the reason you're held back spiritually is because someone has legitimately wronged you. We will not make light of what they did against you. It was bad. But that person has moved on, and you remain shackled to that pain because you have not been able or willing to release that person in forgiveness. And as they merrily go about their business, you're held back because you cannot forgive them. And as we cannot forgive or will not forgive, we begin to lose access or grip on the forgiveness of God, which makes our relationship with God possible. A second one we looked at is idolatry. God is not interested in being one of our gods. He is interested in being our only one true living God. But there are times when our hearts fall in love with, are devoted to, give worship to something else that has captured us. And it's the same way as in any exclusive relationship. If you're married, you understand this. You would never want to hear your spouse say, I love you and I love them. And it's a different kind of love, but I just want you to know you and me, we're good. I'm going to spend time with her now, but I want you to want to come home. I'm going to be excited to see you again. How's that? You're like, no, no, sweetie. That, that does not work for me. This is meant to be an exclusive deal. And when we attempt to love two gods at the same time, the one true God who has rightful claim to us, well, we distance him when we do that. And so the way to cut that cord is to look again, gaze at our God, and realize he is not who we thought. He is greater than that. He is worthy of our whole devotion. He is worthy to be trusted with everything. We don't need two different lovers to provide two different kinds of satisfaction. We only need the one that we have. He is enough to look at him and realize, I don't need God plus something else. God himself is enough. That is the only way to cut the cord of idolatry, is to fall in love with the true God all over again. This morning, we're going to look at a third bungee cord that holds us back, and that is the cord of unconfessed sin. Now, remember I said that uh, every sin is ultimately not a moral or legal issue, but ultimately it's a relational issue. See, God didn't call us just to be good citizens, though that's very important. He wants us to be good citizens in his kingdom, but he wants to do that out of a real personal relationship with us, that we see him as the one worthy of our devotion as the king worthy of our obedience, as the savior worthy of our gratitude and trust. He wants us to know him personally and then to follow him. So when we have these other cords holding us back, it's because somewhere along the way, the choices we made violated that relationship. And that's why we're feeling some of these barriers in our faith. And unconfessed sin gets in the way because think about any relationship you have. If someone did something wrong against you, and then sort of try to just blow it off and keep going as if it never happened. How does it make you feel? How does it make you feel when the person doesn't acknowledge that what they did created damage? It caused pain. And maybe for them they've moved on, but it, does, it puts a barrier between you and that person when they've done wrong, but they have not confessed it. And if they then try to resume the relationship with you without dealing with that betrayal, causes problems, doesn't it? And for some of us, I know your story. This is not hypothetical. You're living in it right now. You're struggling with the fact 
that someone has done something to you and they haven't apologized. But it's also possible that for some of us, the reason we're stuck spiritually is because we are carrying around this burden of guilt, regret, shame, and we haven't let it go. How many of you saw the 1986 film, The Mission? Raise your hand if you, okay. If you're not raising your hand, that is your homework assignment. You be the first to get the family video and you get that movie right now. I'm telling you. It's an amazing film. So many rich themes in it. The, the score is one of the most beautiful pieces of music I've ever heard. But in that story, there is a mercenary soldier who becomes a slaver in South America or Central America, and he commits a murder, and he kills his brother in a fit of rage. It's play, he's played by Robert De Niro. The character's name is Rodrigo Mendoza. And after he kills his brother in a fit of rage, he's overcome with guilt, and he realizes that all his life he's lived by the sword. He's been a man of violence, and he's tired of it. The blood won't wash off his hands. He's so sick of the life he's lived, and he wants no more of it. And many people come to a moment of reckoning where they realize... I'm done with this old life. I'm so sick of dwelling down here in the muck of this. I've had enough. I desperately want something new. I don't want to be this person. And that's what he goes through. So he desperately wants to be made new. And he's got a friendship with some monks in the area. And so he says, I want redemption. And so they're going on a mission all the way up into the mountains above the waterfalls to reach some Indians up there. And uh, he says, can I come with you? And they said, okay. You can come. But then what he does is he takes all his armor and his shield and his sword. It's a very heavy load of metal. And he ties them all up in this big net. And he creates a bundle. And then he ties that to a rope and he slings it around himself. And here's a picture, a, a screenshot from him. But he just straps this rope around him. It's very heavy. And it makes the journey very slow and arduous for the whole party. Because he's lugging this huge burden everywhere he goes. And the priests are watching. They understand that as a Catholic, he's doing penance. He's trying to participate in the washing away of his sins, saying, I've got to do something that makes me grovel and suffer because what I did was so bad. And the reason he's carrying this thing around, at one point, one of the monks cuts it. He says, I can't watch this anymore. And the guy comes all the way back down the hill and ties the rope again and continues. He just can't let it go because he realizes that what he did, he killed his own brother in a fit of rage. I, I just thought about it. If I got mad enough at Steve, I think it would eat me up for the rest of my... I don't know if I could ever just let go of that. And because what he did was so bad, he cannot conceive that forgiveness is possible for this. Now, I've had some very tearful conversations with people have shared that same exact burden. Pastor Dave, I know you're preaching forgiveness, and that's good for most people, but you don't understand what I did. And they go on to tell me the story. I think one of the reasons many pastors have insomnia is because we hear the confession of so many people, and we realize this world we live in is a broken place. It's a hard, painful place. In some of these stories I've heard, I fully understand why a person who's done these things would try to carry this heavy burden behind them because they just don't feel forgivable. And a big part of it is 
They've been unable to forgive themselves. They don't need anybody else telling them that what you did was bad. You know how irritating it is when you are already trapped in this cycle of self-loathing? You hate what you did. You hate what you're becoming. And someone else goes, you know, you shouldn't do that. And you're like, oh, man, I really don't need you to tell me that I'm a mess. Every day I look in the mirror and I hate who I see. I know I'm a mess. But the truth is for me, I feel like it's too late. I don't know if I can be made new. I don't know if even God can manage to let go of this. And so people like Rodrigo do their penance. They cannot fathom that forgiveness is possible for such as them. And so they strap their guilt and their regret and their shame and they lug it around everywhere and will not let themselves go. And just like all the monks trying to get up to their mission, everyone around them is slowed down, discouraged, worried, heartbroken, watching a person slowly wither away in front of their eyes because they cannot find freedom from their shame and guilt. You know, carrying around the burden of guilt it can have devastating effects on a person. See, it's like... Um, I don't know if this is a gross illustration, but it just came to my mind. I hope you'll forgive me for the horrible visual I'm going to plant in your brain for the rest of your life. Have you ever had, you had a cough and you go, <clears throat> and you're at a dinner party and this giant wad of phlegm just shoots into your mouth? But you're at a cocktail party and you're like, oh man, where am I going to? You can't just spit it out on the floor. It's carpet everywhere. They don't have garbage cans. And so you're like, where do I put this? And you're carrying it around your mouth while you're mumbling in response. Hmm, how are you doing? And you're in a crisis because I can't hold this. It's gross. Where do I put it? I wish I could get rid of it, but it feels like there's no appropriate place to eject it. So some people do the unthinkable. Put it right back where it came from. Now that's a disgusting illustration. I just made myself a little sick. But it's this idea that what I'm holding is gross to me. It's unbearable. I, don't, I know for a fact, I don't want to hang on to this. But I don't know where to put it. It's too foul. I can't just throw this out there to people. That'd be like being at a cocktail bar to go, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, that was just in my mouth. Everyone would be horrified. That's disgusting. You're so inappropriate. But you get the idea, when you don't know where to put it, sometimes all you can think about is to hold it in and just swallow it down. And when you keep doing that, the poison that's supposed to leave you continues to remain a part of you. You absorb it. You digest it. King David, he was a great man, but he was also a mess. That seems to be God's preference. He uses messed up people to do great things so that he gets all the credit. Right? So that's why this guy is preaching to you. It's kind of a joke. If you actually knew the truth, you'd be like, how come he's up there? Any of you who feel that way will trade places in a couple weeks. I'm telling you, God loves using messed up people. And he uses David, who while he is very close to God, has a real dark side 
that he couldn't really control. And once in an episode of terrible guilt, he could not confess his sin. He had hidden it away. It was burning a hole in his heart. And he wrote in in the words of Psalm 38, verses 1 through 11, he wrote these words. And I'm just going to read them for you. This is his testimony. Whoa. Sorry, guys. Can you go back to the one after that? This thing is not quite working right now. Can you go one more? Just click the right arrow. There you go. Thank you. And he writes these words. This this is such a, um, when I read this, I realized that so much of what we're seeing could be related to carrying around this poison of guilt and shame. Listen to his testimony. Oh, Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Your arrows have struck deep. This is his conscience, the conviction of God in his holiness on him saying, David, you know what you did. You know. He says, your arrows have struck deep and your blows are crushing me. Listen, see if you can identify with some of these descriptive words of the weight on a person. Because of your anger, my whole body is sick. We're talking about physical illness here. My health is broken because of my sins. My guilt overwhelms me. He's using language of defeatedness, just having surrendered. It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain all day long. Listen to this. It sounds a lot like depression. I I walk around filled with grief. I'm sad about the world because I also know that the world is right here. I'm a mess. The darkness I lament all around me lives right here too, which is why I'm so overwhelmed by it. A raging fever burns within me and my health is broken. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. You know what I long for, Lord. You hear my every sigh. And Listen, this is a panic attack. My heart beats wildly. My strength fails, and I'm going blind. And then he speaks of the isolation of it, the desperate, profound aloneness one feels. My loved ones and friends stay away, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. In just those 11 verses... David offers us a very vivid description of what it's like to carry this impossible weight around with us as it weighs us down and poisons our spirit. The worst part of it all is that if you know the living God, that whole thing is totally unnecessary. It's one of the great aspects of the gospel that makes it good news. Is that this thing we're trying to carry around because we can't imagine we could be free. That is exactly what he offers. You know, maybe like Rodrigo, some of us are carrying around unconfessed sin because we cannot imagine that confession is enough to handle a thing like this. I'm sorry works for some things, but you don't know what I've done. It's too much. Or maybe it's because you've done it one too many times. 
Have you ever committed the same sin so many times that you're embarrassed and tired of yourself? You don't even want to, you're like, Lord, I, I can't even muster up the will to say sorry anymore. I'm sick of me. And if I've grown sick of my apology, how much more must you be sick of hearing it? I mean, if you have a friend who's late all the time, by the 30th appointment he's late for, and he goes, hey, I'm sorry I'm late, you're like, save your breath. I showed up 15 minutes late on purpose because that's all you ever do. I'm tired of the apology. Let's just pretend we said 1130 and I'll come at noon. I don't believe you anymore. And we get sick of ourselves because sometimes you do the same thing one too many times. You don't even believe you could be sorry anymore. Maybe it's because your heart has become so callous and numb, you've convinced yourself you don't even feel bad about it anymore. I just don't care what I do to myself or other people. My pain has made me this way. And it doesn't matter anymore what I do to others or even to myself. Nothing counts because of that. For whatever reason, we're carrying around this weight of unconfessed sin. It is holding us back from the relationship of freedom and intimacy that God wants for us. From the freedom, the joy of running with him and feeling like we're on the move. Like we're fully alive. It's holding us back from that, and it's unnecessary. And all of these reasons for holding on to that are rooted in a distorted picture of the God that that calls us. When you think that what I've done is too much, do you realize what you're saying is that I've managed to invent a sin so great, even God's like, oh, Lordy, I can't. I just picture God as a millennial going, I can't even. That's too much. This guy just invented a sin that exceeds my mercy. It's not possible. I know that you have a threshold beyond which you could not release another person. If anyone did this to me, it would be over for us. And yet God doesn't have that threshold. He says that any time there is genuine remorse, and contrition. Anytime there is a true humility that says, what I've done is wrong before the God who is holy. Freedom is yours. Release is yours. That's the heart of God, is that even when you don't believe you could forgive yourself, he is able to forgive you. And that's, that's important to know because maybe not all of us have hit that place, but it's likely that many of us will at some point. And in that moment, I hope the Holy Spirit will dredge up from your memory these important words that you cannot outsin the mercy of God. You cannot. There's nothing human beings have done that he has not heard of or seen before. Or maybe because you've committed the same ridiculous sin over and over, it's become a way of life for you. You don't even believe your own repentance. And you think that somehow God must feel the same way you do. He's just tired of you. He's grown bored of you, weary of you. He's rolling his eyes in heaven at you. Whatever you feel about yourself, pause and make sure you don't project that onto God. 
He's different. Even when I am sick of me, he is not. It's so important to remember. When you can't stand the sound of your own apology, you know, God still looks at your sin and he's repulsed by what you've done and what it's caused. But when he looks at you, his heart swells with love. He has no illusions that what you've done is a mess. But he sees past the deed to you and all he can raise in his heart is a swelling love. I love what Pastor Tim Keller says. This is one of his more famous quotes. But he says it so simply. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Did you catch that? This is the gospel is that you're not even as bad as you think. You're worse. (laughs) We let ourselves off the hook quite easily because we've got to live with ourselves. But the honest truth is, you're worse. And if it were legal or socially appropriate, you might have gone way past where you stopped yourself. But at the very same time, in Christ, we are more loved and accepted by God than we would ever dare to hope. And it's important that we not just hear these words and go, okay, that's, I guess, the gospel. To embrace it as that's the heart and character of our God. Because when you get to that place where you cannot forgive yourself, it's very important to understand who it is that invites you to let go of your burden. The Apostle John couldn't have said it more clearly when he wrote in 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's no asterisk other than that the only way to not avail yourself of that freedom. The very next verse is if you claim you don't have sin, you're disqualified from all of that. The only way to not get forgiveness is to act as if you don't need it. But anybody who comes to him and says, Lord, what I've done, sure, I had my reasons, but what I did is inexcusable. I've been carrying this rock around with me, strapped to my back, tied to my heart, and it's killing me. I don't think I can keep going. I'm trying to move forward. I'm trying to have relationships with people to advance in my life, to be fully alive, to be a human being again. I'm so tired of living down here in sorrow, defeat, frustration, anger. I'm so tired with this, but I don't know. I want to let go of all of this. It's robbing me of my life. And it's so important to know That the only way to cut this cord is to gaze intently again at Jesus Christ and realize, he says, you just come here and I'm going to cut that rope for you. 
I know you thought you had to do a lot of things first to prove you're really sorry. But the only thing he's truly looking for is a deep and sincere contrition and a knowledge that freedom is found in him. You know, there was a, an occasion when uh, Jesus was eating dinner at the home of a man named Simon who was a Pharisee. And in the midst of that dinner party, a woman with a very shady reputation in town barged into the dinner party, very socially inappropriate, and she made a spectacle of herself by throwing herself down at the feet of Jesus. She took a very expensive jar of perfume that everyone probably knew where she got the money to buy it from. She cracked it open, poured it over his feet, wept on his feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole thing is very, it's uncomfortable. That level of physical intimacy between a man and a woman who are not married was a very awkward thing in Jesus' day. The whole thing was just an embarrassment. How desperate this woman must have been. She needed freedom and peace. She wanted to feel like a person again. But she carried around the weight of all the things she had done and everyone was a constant reminder to her of who she was. And when the religious leaders in your town are the ones condemning you the most vigorously, where can you go when you want to be made new? Where are you supposed to go? There's no one to turn to for help. And then she hears about this man, Jesus. She hears him preaching in public. She watches his face and she says something is different about him. And in one last bid to be rid of this horrible thing she's carrying around, she takes a huge risk and barges into this upper class dinner party and she makes a spectacle of herself. And I know that every person was offended and shocked and she could feel the daggers They're staring into her back. And that a house full of disgust and repulsion, one person did not look away. And Jesus saw in her contrition real love, real sorrow, real humility. What I love about Jesus is that he does nothing to pretend her sin wasn't a problem. He even says to Simon, look, Who do you think should be most happy about having a debt forgiven? The person with a small debt or a very large one? Simon says, surely the person with a large debt. And he's pointing right at the woman because that lady has a huge debt. She earned her reputation. No one did those things to her. She chose those things. She's carrying that around. He doesn't make light of her sin because sin is serious business and we have to own it. But he looks at her great debt and he meets it not with the clucking of his tongue or the shaking of his head. But he says, I'm going to cancel that debt. I see what she has amassed and accrued for herself. She'll never cut that free. I'm going to take care of that for her right in front of all of you tonight. And with just a word, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. And just like that, this thing she'd been carrying around, if you could watch the mission and watch that moment when the rope is cut and that burden is sent hurling over the cliff, there's such a visual, visceral feeling of release. At least there was for me when I watched it. 
And in just that one word, Jesus sets her free. She's not that woman anymore. And then he says at the end, you go. Go in peace. That word, it's not just a greeting. This is what she, all her life, she just wanted peace. She wanted to feel like a lady. She just wanted to be a human being, whole, healthy, to be able to look at herself with dignity and pride, to not have to be defined by her pain or by her deficits or by the wounds she's carrying. She just wants to be somebody. To not have this turmoil all the time, these voices raging inside of her. And just like that, in one moment of love and acceptance, Jesus, knowing the worst about her, seeing right into her, cancels her debt and sets her free. And with that, she has peace. And finally, in that place of freedom and peace, she can start to grow. She can start to move forward. She can start to know God. See, you can go watch a thousand videos on Right Now Media. You could attend a dozen small groups, go to a hundred conferences and retreats, learn everything there is to know about how to live a Godward life. But if you have this burden of unconfessed sin and you've been holding on to it your life, paying penance for the wrong you've done, the invitation this morning to you is to come before Jesus and let it go. He knows what you did, but he wants to set you free. And if you will receive that, something inside of you will come loose. I know that's what you've been wanting, but let me tell you also that the people who care about you, the people who share your life with you, the people who have been weighed down, pushed away because you have such a hard time releasing this burden. They've been longing for you to find peace too. And it will have an effect on every relationship in your life. Sometimes it's hard to do this by yourself. And so I want you to know that if you feel this is the step you need to take, we're going to invite you after the service is done. If you need to come around back, we'll just be praying for people. And if you don't want to do it here, then I'm going to invite you to find someone you trust, a small group leader, a trusted mentor, a good friend, and say, listen, I need you to help me, pray for me, remind me again what Jesus promises us because I want to move on. I want to be free of this. And there is great power in confessing our sins even to one another. We're going to transition into a time of communion. But before we do that, I feel like I just need to give you a minute. Just to pause and uh, let the Lord speak to you. And I don't think everybody is going to be in the same place hearing this message, but for some of you, um, I think there's an urgency to this. This is something God's been after you about for a very long time. And I believe what he wants you to do this morning is to stop postponing and say, here, right this morning in this very place, 
I want to stop carrying this. I want to see that rope literally just get cut and this thing fall away from me. I think that we are most surprised and grateful for the mercy of God when we are the worst and we know it. That's who he is. So I'm going to invite you just in the quiet of this moment. Audrey's going to play some music and we're just going to just listen for the Lord, say things we need to say. And let's unburden ourselves as he sets us free. So I'm going to give you a minute to do that. And then we'll move into a time of communion. There's a strange comfort in staring at our sin. It's concrete. It's a thing that actually happened. Mercy of God seems so abstract. And yet in our our quiet, when we really think about what Jesus offers us, only then can we let go of this thing we've become so used to carrying around. Some of you know that in this season of your life, your spirit does not feel free. Your heart has not known real joy in a very long time. You do not feel alive inside. None of that is what God has called you into. His kingdom is a place for the living, it's a place of freedom. It is a kingdom on the move. And he invites you to join that now. To be unburdened so you can be a part of something. One of the ways we stay focused and rooted on who Jesus is, is through the regular practice of communion. can open your eyes and we'll move into a time of doing this together. We do this because Jesus asked us to keep doing it. Matthew 26, 28, Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. just before his crucifixion when he realized the the weight, the scope of what he was about to do he gathered his closest friends and he had a dinner with them. He said tomorrow you will see something horrible I will be brutalized torn apart you'll hardly recognize me and each time that visual haunts you again I want you to think about this meal and realize what it is that I'm doing for you. If you've ever seen the passion of the Christ, it's hard to watch. 
It was rated R because its graphic violence is overwhelming. But the truth is that when we fully realize what we've done, that's what we know we'd like to do to ourselves. He took that upon himself for us. And he said, every time, remember this, you will never be clean because you were really, really sorry enough. You did enough penance. You will be clean because I will release you. And it's going to cost me a lot, but I do it gladly. On the cross, he cuts the cord of our guilt and our shame and our regret. And he sets us free to join him in his kingdom. So that's why we do this. It's a reminder that our righteousness comes from him and not because of anything we have done. And as you prepare your heart to take communion, let that be your overwhelming thought is, Lord, I will never tell you what I've done for you. I will always remember what you've done for me. That's our relationship with him. It begins there in that place of gratitude. This thing we do is far more than an empty gesture. And we should not talk about it in vague generalities. Life is a broken thing. And we are broken people. And in those moments, when you're confronted with just how dark your heart is, when in defeat and self-disgust, you've turned off your computer screen after looking at something which violates your conscience, after you've struck your child in anger and frustration, done violence and cursing in your heart to someone you're supposed to love, when you violated a deep trust, a covenant, and you know you've betrayed someone, and you can hardly stand to look at yourself, much less at the face of God, this is a reminder that there will always be hope because of what Jesus did for us. Where will you put this thing which is unbearable to hold? And he holds out his hand like a loving father and says, spit it out here. I'll take care of this for you. That's what he wants for you. And he's inviting you to do that as you take these elements today. Remember that our righteousness comes from him. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.